Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Rounding the Earth, our Rounding the News weekly news roundup. That was a lot of words all at once. Uh, in any case, my name is Liam Sturgis, and I am your host for Rounding the News. And uh, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, go ahead right now. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Rounding the Earth's YouTube channel or Rumble channel, if that's where you're uh, currently watching us. And subscribe to Rounding the Earth dot substack dot com become a paid subscriber if you want to help us continue to make shows just like this now uh we've got a lot of stuff to go through today so i'm just gonna jump right on in let me hop on over to <sighs> you may remember last week we talked about um uh shinzo abe the former prime minister of japan who was tragically assassinated during a campaign stop and we alluded briefly to the fact that he was not the only world leader who had gone through a form of change, though, of course, his was particularly notable. But now we're going to go back. The episode today is called Crises Assemble. And the first crisis we're going to talk about is a crisis of leadership. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson resigns. This is true. So what happened is uh, uh, it looks as though it comes as the wave of resignations from Johnson's government and party since Tuesday evening, which was uh, more than a week ago now, approached 60 with one conservative party member after another publicly voicing their lack of confidence in the prime minister. So basically, he's announced he'll be stepping down and there will be a leadership race coming, uh, I think, in the fall. So he's technically still there right now, but he's indicated he will not be the leader of the British government for some time. But he's, once again, not the only leader. There seems to be a line of world leaders who are, in one case, unfortunately dead, and in the other cases, stepping down. We've got here, Italy's president rejects Prime Minister Mario Draghi's offer to resign. So, Mario Draghi, uh, which, uh, who is uh, uh, Italy's prime minister, um, they have both a prime minister and a president. So, lesson for the day, the words president and prime minister and how they're used in a nation's government system uh, vary from country to country. Uh, here in Canada, for example, we have a prime minister and no president. The United States has a president, but no prime minister. So, Italian Premier Mario Draghi offered to step down on Thursday after a populist coalition ally refused to support a key government bill. But the nation's president rejected the resignation, telling Draghi to see if he can still find a majority in parliament willing to support him. Which is interesting, because if he's already said, I've looked and there's no coalition to support me, and the president's like, yes, but please try again. Um, it sort of suggests maybe, uh, you know, the disconnect and lack of unity in the government that Draghi is referring to may be uh, manifesting in uh, the president's own misunderstanding of how much support he has. But I'm no expert on Italian politics. I'm just reporting the fact that, oh, once again, world leaders resigning. Estonian prime minister resigns, prepares to form new government. Kaya or Kaja Kalis already has new coalition partners. Okay. Now, I, I, this one went way under my radar, and we're not going to spend too much time on it. But this is to show, yikes, uh, governments around the world are finding themselves um, not overly popular. 
and I could I could pull up statistics for uh, and news reports for Canada. Uh, speaking of Mr. Trudeau, I could pull up um, way too many news reports discussing uh, President Biden's performance and how how he's being viewed right now across the political spectrum. Um, uh, but politics aside, we have a crisis in leadership um, globally, it would seem. And the risk here potentially is to simply destabilize governance as a whole. Uh, if 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 you have uh, a single government leader step down, then you have you know uh, you you have uh, the rest of the world uh, to look to for temporary leadership. But just hypothetically, if all of the major world powers, you know, if the entirety of Europe or 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 several major European nations, as well as the Americas, are all in a political crisis at the same time, in combination with the uh, the 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 Russia and Ukraine situation, uh, and with China's own internal problems. These are major superpowers, major governments that are under stress. So it's significant. And why is it significant? Why would a country, as our next story shows, like Sri Lanka? Uh, enter an economic crisis and why the more important thing is why would the government of Sri Lanka essentially fall at the hand of protesters what happened is uh, there was a, a bunch of protesters outside of the uh, I believe it's the presidential palace uh, last week um, who uh, were protesting let's well let's see what were they protesting Oof. Struggling with daily power cuts and shortages of basics such as fuel, food, and medicines. Inflation is running at more than 50%. As you can see there, that's a, that's a sharp jump. Uh, I'm not an economic expert, uh, but I think we all know that inflation is not something people um, seek out usually. And uh, we find here that between uh, basically March through June, it's just been a strong upward trend in, uh, in, in prices, the consumer price index. So that's what customers are paying for goods. So that's what you and I would see. That, that would be the sign in our day-to-day -day lives, um, you and I, uh, that something is happening economically. Um, the country doesn't have enough fuel for essential services like buses, trains, and medical vehicles and officials say it doesn't have enough foreign currency to import more. This lack of fuel has caused petrol and diesel prices to rise dramatically. In late June, the government banned the sale of petrol and diesel for non-essential vehicles for two weeks. What is a non-essential vehicle? Anyway, sales of fuel remain severely restricted. Schools have closed and people have been asked to work from home to help conserve supplies. So fuel in particular, that's a major uh, like linchpin in, in every aspect of how our lives work. In fact, without fuel to power the boats and the, and the, 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 uh, the trucks that carry the fuel from place to place, you can't, even if the fuel exists, if you don't have the right fuel, eh, that's probably nonsensical. But the point is, it, 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 when this, this flow of, of fuel is interrupted, then you also have an interruption in the flow of goods like medicine and food, and then schools shut down. I need not belabor the point. What I'm saying is Sri Lanka is an example of how this can go very bad very quickly when lack of, lack of um, 
solutions presented by government result in the government essentially being forcibly ousted. And that's not a scenario that anybody wants to have happen, but it's inevitable if governments, uh, well, if people aren't satisfied with their governments. Um, no, this is a little bit out of order. We're going to move this down. Let's hit the Washington Post. So, moving back over into more familiar territory here in North America, the Washington Post reports inflation is even worse if you measure it the proper way. Now, that's interesting. As you may have heard, the U.S. inflation rate, this is true, is now 9.1%. That is, the Consumer Price Index for All Items as estimated for June by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, was 9.1% than it was a year earlier. Just remember, a year earlier, that was July 2021. That was six months into the supposed, uh, in earnest, economic reopening. The recovery, the coming out of COVID, the mass vaccination campaign had been a, a, a success at that point. Vaccines had been available, uh, uh, which in theory reduces the need for economic closures, social distancing, um, limited capacity in business. So how is it that now, a year later, well over two years into this vaccination program, or more broadly into the, into the that, well, three years into the COVID response, this is not where everyone thought this was going to wind up, is the point I'm trying to make. Um, just continuing here, other economic indicators generally aren't measured this way. With retail sales, it's the percentage change from one month to the next that gets the headlines. With employment, it's the monthly change in the number of jobs. With gross domestic product, in the U.S. at least, it's the annualized quarterly change. Anyway, go, go look through here. Uh, the, the Washington Post article, uh, it, it, it gives a, a fairly um, a decent overview, I think, of, of how basically introducing the concept that inflation alone uh, measured the way we tend to hear it. This 9.1% isn't the be-all, end-all, um, and likely is uh, a very mild representation of, of, of the true uh, economic woes uh, underpinning everything. Here's an example. Producer prices jump 11.3% in June. Another sign that inflation is hot. It's not just consumers who are feeling the pinch from rising inflation. Businesses are getting squeezed as well as wholesale prices surged more than expected in June. Now, I pose the question, more than expected by who? Because all I know is I've certainly had conversations with more than a few people who definitely expected this. <laughs> so I wonder what leads to such a institutional surprise when more independent thinkers seem to have a better idea of what's coming. So we had the consumer price index in the previous article, right? Here, this refers to the producer price index index or PPI, which rose 1.1% last month above forecasts for an increase of 0.8%. On a year-over-year -year basis, the index jumped 11.3% in June, the largest increase since March's record 11.6% rise and above forecasts for 10.7%.
So this is what it's been basically every single month for a while now. It's been, uh, oh, uh, economic growth is, is looking good. We're going to hit this. And then, oh, no, we came under by this amount. Who could have seen this coming? Um, First-time unemployment claims are much higher than expected. And, of course, everyone's favorite, inflation is transitory. Oops. So uh, we, we got some trouble. So the producer price index being what producers have to pay for raw goods to then create the product, which people then buy. So there's a buy step here, and there's a buy step here, and they're two separate market indicators, and they're both hot. All right. But now moving into uh, alternative uh, uh, economical uh, thinking. So, you know, we we um, we often hear about gold as being, uh, you know, we have the gold standard that unfortunately went away. But referring now to the idea that gold is a store of value, precious metals. These are real. Uh, these are these are real. That's money. That's real uh, assets. Whereas the dollar is sort of a representation of a hypothetical value that um, now is sort of disappearing. So then with gold in the modern time, we also talk about cryptocurrency, more specifically, the one that underpins it all, Bitcoin. So this article is from FX Street, headline, two Bitcoin price prediction polls, same outcome, $10,000 Bitcoin is coming. Bitcoin investors in China plan to buy the dip despite an ongoing market correction and a nationwide crypto ban a new survey shows. So obviously that's specific to China, but there's these two different uh, uh, ways of evaluating possible price, um, uh, well, predicting price from here, and they're both pegging it at 10,000. Now, next week on Tuesday, we are having a round table um, where we're gonna specifically be discussing Bitcoin, including one of, with one of the core developers uh, of Bitcoin. Now, I, I, I don't know what that means. It sounds pretty cool to me. And this gentleman, um, whose name I, I don't have in front of me right now, but I will post that in the description, sounds like he'll be able to answer the questions I still have about Bitcoin. But just keeping an eye there. And then referring, of course, to the Rounding the Earth newsletter, Bitcoin is something that Matthew does write about quite a bit. And um, I did not know this, but he recently expanded his Bitcoin education chat group, where he plans to write more about Bitcoin. Now, in this article, he doesn't focus on a price prediction so much. Um, he tries to, uh, or succeeds at explaining a bit deeper uh, what what the the actual concept of Bitcoin um, being an alternative economic system means. And again, this is very novel to me. The Bitcoin I have, uh, I, I, I pursued as a kind of fun investment. But the more I talk to Matthew about Bitcoin, the clearer to me it is that uh, it's, it's less of an item, less of a thing to have, and more of a, uh, a culture shift that um, I can't properly articulate right now. But I recommend you go to roundingtheearth.substack.com and read The Mature Future of Bitcoin Economics. Moving right along. Crisis number two. <laughs> I'm going to lose count very quick. Why we don't have a Pi variant yet, even after so much Omicron. So there's a lot of concern right now about these new Omicron subvariants, and this appears to be addressing why we're sticking with Omicron when we had been going sequentially with this Greek nomenclature. In May 2021, the World Health Organization announced the key variants of SARS-CoV-2 would be assigned names from the Greek alphabet, yada, yada, yada. But now we've got, look at this, BA2, BA2.1, 2.1, 2 
a palindrome. I don't think it is. BA4 and BA5, which we discussed last week. But now, we've also got this BA2.75. Why all these complex names when there's still no variant known as Pi? Now, I brought it up because it's a good question. But it's, uh, oh, hmm. Once again, I've moved things all out of order. In any case, I brought this up to show that even in the Bitcoin discussion, uh, I'm going to get better at flowing these uh, through nice and smooth. But anyway, um, basically to introduce the point of uh, we've got some issues with this oil situation. So this COVID is meant to be later. My mistake. But um, so Market Realist reports gas prices are falling. But are they falling too fast? Whether to worry or celebrate. They point out that in June they hit the $5 per gallon mark as an average across the United States. Uh, I can attest in Canada, uh, we essentially, uh, in Vancouver where I live, we had um, the equivalent of $8 per gallon. We had $8 per gallon. I think we beat California, which at one point I think had crossed $9 a gallon. So they went way up and now allegedly they're coming down. So they asked the question, should we celebrate the fall in gas prices or should we be concerned? They point out that gas prices are high in most countries around the world. And that makes sense because gas is an international market. Countries don't uh, largely make their own, uh, even in Canada and the United States, for some reason, there's this notion that we shouldn't be relying on our own domestic uh, natural resources in any case. So there's an issue uh, that is being brought up. Fox News anchor Sandra Smith pointed out that the steep fall in gas prices is certainly not good news for small gas station owners. Woo! Don't mind me, my, uh, my little light just fell. And this is what we call guerrilla journalism. Anyway, the risks and benefits of live streaming the news. Okay, she pointed to a story from the Wall Street Journal that talked about how volatile gas prices are making life tougher for mom and pop gas station owners. Now this, as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to think of, of this information in a vacuum. I'm trying to think, what else in my world or in my scope of understanding does this remind me of? And this reminds me a lot of COVID. Because who, who, was, who was hurt by the last two years of lockdown type measures? It wasn't Walmart. It was the mom and pop shops that were able to uh, not not able to stay open with all their customers then being by default moved to the shops that are open, which were the Walmart superstores and the targets and frankly online as well with Amazon. So I'm not saying there's a direct connection here, but the result is the same. So I'm going to go ahead and say that's concerning to me. If we have yet another mom and pop industry that's under a lot of pressure here. Now, there's some skepticism. Uh, uh, Brian Tyler Cohen on Twitter. Fox News is now saying that gas prices are falling too fast with a host saying that this decline is, quote, historically faster than usual, which is, quote, causing, quote, independently owned mom and pop, uh, mom and pop gas stations to struggle. In any case, then moving over into uh, it's interesting. There's the news. There's the public square. You know, the, the Twitter sphere, the, the, uh, the news um, opinion discussions, and then you get into the think tanks. <laughs> I like the think tanks a lot because 
nobody reads them except for people who are already kind of in the think tank circle. Uh, except me. <laughs> Not just me. Except nerds like me. So Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, uh, back in June, in fact, they had written an article titled A Big Bang? Anticipating the Impact of Europe's Sanctions on Russian Energy. Now, I brought this up as a reminder that the news we're getting on a bunch of issues, but specifically on oil, is heavily biased in a way that seems to want to paint the governments of the United States, Canada, the majority of Europe, um, the Western world as being guilt-free. This isn't their issue. The problem is Russia, let me put it this way. The Western nations put sanctions on Russian energy. They said, we're not going to buy, we're going to boycott Russian crude. Okay. Now, a full embargo is not on the table, but the point is, we understand the need for oil, and let's move aside the political and humanitarian discussion about you know, putting economic pressure on Russia. What if, by reducing the amount of oil from Russia that's been brought into these countries, what if that doesn't impact Russia the way that was hoped for? What if, as this says here, Russia has diverted a large share of exports to India and China? Which are big buyers. So if their economy, let's say, is fine, so European buyers have increased purchases from West Africa and Latin America. Hmm. I wonder how much they're able to export. I wonder how much they're able to replace the lost intake of Russian fuel. The point is, this is not a blameless situation for any given side. This is a multi, multipolar, um, a, a conflict that has decision-making on both sides resulting in the consequences that each side is now trying to blame the other for okay into foreign policy europe's tiny steps won't solve its energy emergency the bad policies that created the crisis are still in place this is from two days ago the european union and its 27 member states have invested more money effort and political capital and energy policy than any other region in the world until this year, Europe was admired globally as the gold standard for energy and climate policy, and they specifically mentioned Germany leading the pack there. But now we have a problem because Germany, in fact, is the country that is starting to um, feel the most pressure. And uh, there's talk of rationing, uh, energy rationing. Um, uh, and I don't want to speculate because I don't have it pulled up. The message from this last couple articles is um, a reminder that the messaging coming from one's own domestic government isn't likely to take responsibility for actions that they've taken that then subsequently harm their own people. I suppose I'll leave that there for now. But now we move in to this interesting American military news item, because we are talking about a context of war. Russia did invade Ukraine. There is active armed conflict there. And despite NATO 
the North Atlantic Treaty Organization not directly engaging, because that would result in world war, they certainly are engaged indirectly. And I managed to be born after the Cold War had essentially ended. So I, I've never had a fear of nuclear weapons, really. Well, there was a brief period in 2018 where I thought North Korea might be coming to get us. But regardless, Russia activates doomsday submarine armed with nuke torpedoes. Okay. An advanced doomsday submarine capable of launching massive nuclear torpedoes entered service with the Russian Navy on Friday. So that was one week ago. The move comes after Russian figures have repeated have made repeated threats of nuclear war to opponents of Russia's war in Ukraine. Now, I'm not I'm not interested in fear-mongering, so I'm not going to dwell on this. But I do bring it up to introduce the following. So there's been a nuclear attack. Don't ask me how or why, just know that the big one has hit, okay? So what do we do? There are three important steps that I want you to remember. Step one, get inside fast. You, your friends, your family, get inside. And no, staying in the car is not an option. You need to get into a building and move away from the windows. Step two, stay inside. Shut all doors and windows. Have a basement? Head there. If you don't have one, get as far into the middle of the building as possible. If you were outside after the blast, get clean immediately. Remove and bag all outer clothing to keep radioactive dust or ash away from your body. Step three, stay tuned. Follow media for more information. Don't forget to sign up for Notify NYC for official alerts and updates. And don't go outside until officials say it's safe. All right, you've got this. So needless to say, that has left some folks feeling rather concerned and confused. Alarmed would probably be a good word. Now, the official word is that, uh, is that it's, it's just a tool in the toolkit for the modern day. There's no specific threat. But it, I, I have heard people point out, it's interesting that the, the advice in this nuclear context, you know, a bomb has just gone off, presumably nearby. The advice is get inside and stay inside and have a shower. Leave your comments on that down below. Okay, I'm going to rush through the rest here. Basically, new to BA 2.75. Hey, get out of here. Oh, I have to share my screen again. Uh, where'd it go? One sec. Do, 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 do. Come on now. All right, there we go. Um, a dark horse in the COVID pandemic. Far from concluding, the COVID pandemic seems to be picking up speed with new variants. The BA.5 variant is spreading rapidly in Europe and North America, potentially infecting as many or more people. Or more people! As the original Omicron virus from which it is derived. A second variant, BA.5. 
0.2.75 has been detected in India and is rising quickly. We've previously described... It's interesting we're at a point where the, this, this crisis has gone on for so long, they've stopped referring to it as SARS-CoV-2 in a lot of cases. It's the Omicron virus now. We must not lose sight that we are allegedly, by their, uh, you know, by the, the set of information they're working with and presenting, this is still a variant of SARS-CoV-2. Now, Matthew Crawford has argued it's essentially a different virus, but they're not arguing the same thing he is. And uh, I'll leave that there for now. But they're basically saying, this isn't over, guys. Hey, look at that. Is Paxlovid the miracle drug we thought it was? No. <laughs> okay, moving forward. CBS, ABC, CNN, sound the alarm on coronavirus BA.5 and call for masking. Quote, the worst variant is here. And I just posit that every variant that's come out, as far as I know, as far as I remember, have been described as the worst variant yet. And um, I don't know. White House medical advisor Fauci called for the virus to still be taken seriously and warned that Americans who want to put the pandemic in the past must realize it's not gone yet. Okay. Oh, just a reminder, Dr. Fauci, COVID-19 vaccines don't protect overly well against infection. Says shots can still stave off bad outcomes, citing himself as an example. As, a as an example of a bad outcome? I don't think that's what he meant. This is from the Washington Times. Um, and he's basically reiterating what he said last week. <sighs> the Boston Globe. We're all done. Uh, we're, oh, we're all tired of COVID, but it's not done with us. Omicron subvariants are surging, yet the masks are largely off and public officials are unwilling to reimpose restrictions. We're on our own. I'll just leave this article with a, with, with a thought of or a question, a, qu a question for the audience. This presumes, this, this heavily implies that masks and restrictions of various kinds worked. Did they? Leave your comments down below. Um, they refer in this article, interestingly, to a recent Columbia study, which gives reason for alarm. The BA4 and BA5 Omicron subvariants that have er, uh, surged to become the dominant strains are finding their way around vaccinations and immunities from previous infections. Okay, so I thought that was interesting. I want to see this study. This study, interestingly enough, this is on nature. Okay, antibody evasion by SARS-CoV-2 Omicron subvariants BA2.12.1, BA4, and BA5. I saw this almost immediately. We are providing an unedited an unedited version of this manuscript to give early access to its findings. Before final publication, the manuscript will undergo further editing. Please note, there may be errors present which affect the content and all legal disclaimers apply. In other words, we would call this a preprint, usually. And usually, in the news reporting, it would refer to it as a recent preprint study, which has not yet undergone peer review. And then you know to put that filter over your thinking as you, as you read it. It's just a lens. It's, it's a way of framing your interpretation, your initial reading of the material. And it matters. Uh, but 
they don't say that here. They refer to it as a recent study from Columbia University. So here's the lesson for today. If you take one thing from today, there's a lot of us like me who are lay people who uh, are not educated specifically in science or in um, a field that generally involves scientific or uh, academic publications such as these. I've had to learn myself in my work with the Canadian COVID Care Alliance to identify where I need to go within the framework of a study like this to, to evaluate where it's at, who paid for it, how likely is this to be credible, how, how literally should I take it? So this is thing number one, is, is this a preprint or is this published, peer-reviewed? And even then, the published and peer-reviewed thing is not a be-all, end-all, but it's an important thing to understand. So then I'm like, okay, oops, that's not it. So I open up and I find when it loads, this beautiful PDF. Antibody vision, yada, yada. Okay. It's an accelerated article preview. I'm just going to jump right to the bottom. I thought it would be interesting to find out who funds this bad boy, who, who paid for this study, which is not yet published. Well, technically it is. Um, there is a page hidden near the bottom. Acknowledgements. This study was supported by funding from the Gates Foundation. <laughs> and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Very interesting. And the National Institutes of Health SARS-CoV-2 Assessment of Viral Evolution Program. Okay. I mean, it's notable. It's notable. For a reason I'll show in a minute beyond the obvious but then we get competing interests so these one two three four five authors are inventors on patent applications this guy right here okay w o two o two one two three six nine nine eight or provisional patent applications filed by columbia university for a number of sars-cov-2 neutralizing antibodies described in this manuscript Time Ed Biologics and RenBio, Wuxi Biologics and Bree Biosciences, and a board director for Vicarious Surgical. So, looping back to this article, in my estimation, this opinion piece by the Boston Globe amounts to a pharmaceutical advertisement. And that's concerning, because it does not read like that. It reads as, hey, I'm a smart person, this is my opinion. Based on this scientific study, we're not done yet. What's the implication of we're not done yet? Let's see. Well, it appears to be mostly a matter of putting masks back on. But I don't see anything in this article itself noting the origin of the money for this study. But you know, you know who else is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Speaking of masks, by the way, statement on the 12th meeting of the International Health Regulations, yada, yada. Bottom line, we're just going to go down here real quick. There's some recommendations. Strengthen national response to COVID pandemic by updating plans, yada, yada. Okay, address risk communications and community engagement challenges. 
and the need to address divergent perceptions in risk between scientific communities, political leaders, and the general public. Proactive, proactively counter misinformation and disinformation and include communities in decision-making. The wording proactively, proactively counter misinformation and disinformation, that sounds like pre-crime. That sounds like, you know, there's a difference between making sure you're providing accurate information and making sure you're preventing someone else from providing other information that they happen to label mis and disinformation. I just, I find that very interesting. Achieve national COVID-19 vaccination targets with updated roadmap for the youth for prioritization. Okay. And then, um, yeah, continue to promote, promote the use of effective individual level protective measures to reduce transmission. Um, So, just as a reminder, uh, the funding behind a lot of these things seems to come, as we alluded to in our very first roundtable with Dr. Jessica Rose and Chris Masterjohn, there are some names that keep popping up. The Gates Foundation is a tremendous contributor, which is to say they got a hand in the pot over here. They got a hand in the pot over over who? Um, and it's 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 vital to put that once again filter in front of our you know as we're coming as we're bringing the information into our little noggins the who to reconvene monkeypox emergency panel on july 21st so they had already gotten together uh on june 23rd and they said yeah no we're not yet declaring monkeypox to be a public health emergency of international concern uh i'll have you sound out that word just because it's kind of funny but they said it wasn't ready, but now they're coming back because, oops, it might be now. I mean, there's so much to go through, and I'll just rush through these. Uh, people took issue with Dr. Kieran Moore of Ontario, the public health officer of Ontario, saying that one in 5,000 young people develop myocarditis after the shot. They're basically like, no way, it's it's much, much lower than that. It's it's like, let's see, where are the numbers? One in 16,000. And those are just reports. They're not even all real. And then in a reply to the tweet uh, from that uh, journalist, another journalist up here in Canada, Anthony Fury, replies, Public Health Ontario actually disclosed in a more in-depth report that the adverse event following immunization, one that Richard is citing, oh, then that, um, as of last November, there had been 400 people sent to the ER for vaccine-related health heart issues, and 20 of them were placed in the ICU. That was nine months ago. So it's an outdated set of data. And, oh, Health Canada authorizes use of Moderna COVID-19 vaccine in children six months to five years of age. That was yesterday. Moderna's spike vax. They're giving it to kids six months old. On what data? Refer to last week. And here's a reminder that this very same product was recommended against for the 18 to 24 year old group because of myocarditis and pericarditis. I guess that's changed. But just to summarize, okay, in September of last year, Ontario says, this is too dangerous. Please use Pfizer instead. Okay. 
It's now July 15, and yesterday, that same product is now being given to babies as young as six months old. Just a reminder, the argument has been that COVID-19 itself can, uh, can cause myocarditis, and while that is true in, in theory, just want to point out this uh, study from Israel, which did not observe an increased incidence in either pericarditis or myocarditis in adult patients recovering from COVID-19 infection. Now, it may be that there's studies on kids that say differently. In fact, I know there are. I just wanted to point out in passing, this will be in the show notes. And the other argument about reports, uh, I'm going to pass through this just for the sake of time. Same thing here. Basically, Hong Kong found the same. Now, this is big. Um, Matthew, at EDU Engineer, tweets, Dr. George Fareed, who has posted many patient testimonials after he and Dr. Brian Tyson successfully treated over 11,000 COVID-19 patients together with zero deaths for those treated during the first week of illness, has been permanently suspended from Twitter. After careful review, we determined your account broke the Twitter rules. That's significant. That is the voice of a practicing physician who has successfully saved 11,000 lives. Which brings us into the final topic I want to talk about today, which is the Stop the Shots campaign. The Canadian COVID Care Alliance has just launched... A, uh, a campaign called Stop the Shots just in time, just the day before, on Wednesday, the day before they, Health Canada declared that uh, the Moderna product should be used for kids as young as six months old. I'm not going to play this for you. Go to CanadianCovidCareAlliance.org and watch this 15-minute video. I'll play just a very brief uh, oh, actually, this is a slideshow, so so there is a uh, video version, but there's also um, the slides used in it without the voiceover, and um, it's it's got all of the uh, vital information in here, and we want this to go big. We want this to go viral, because this is all stuff we all already know, yet for some reason some people still uh, have decided to ignore it, and this is a notice of liability. This is, you cannot continue doing this. After you've watched this video, you know what you're doing, and that's not okay. Um, yada, yada, conflicts of interest. And just to share something that I worked on, this is a report that outlines the, all of the conflicts of interest that I was able to find uh, for the uh, people who approved uh, these shots uh, back in December 2020. And there's a lot of Pfizer money. There's a lot of Pfizer money. So that'll be available in the chat as well. Um, okay. Um, and that's going to be it for now. I've once again gone over time, uh, and I hope, <laughs> I hope if anything, this shows how much crazy stuff happens in the span of a week. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting to watch as all of these unrelated crises between the, uh, the economic crisis, the crisis in leadership, um, the uh, uh, crisis uh, resulting from the uh, challenges with fuel and food and medicine, uh, and then coming into this health crisis, combined, you know, combining the impacts of these shots versus uh, the impacts of COVID, it's all cumulative. And um, we have to be careful not to be too afraid. 
because fear will lead us to make decisions that aren't rational. Um, so if, if you're looking at the world and seeing chaos and seeing uh, a lack of clarity or a lack of a way forward, um, step one is to find calm. Step two is to revisit the information with a clear head and see if you can put together your best understanding of what's going on and then seek solutions. Now, there's just one more thing I want to share here, which is um, Rumble Rants. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is a video uh, Viva Fry announcing uh, the new Rumble Rants feature, um, which I'm not going to be able to hang on. I'm actually going to um, show you over. Uh, oh, I know what I'm going to do. Basically, we want to continue making uh, content of all kinds that is specifically uh, not just taking up space. We want to take up uh, we want to create content that is educational informative, and more than anything, gives the tools to people to think more critically, to have access to a broader set of information, to be able to make their own decisions. And um, we've, we want to do that in a way that is sustainable and unbiased and not brought to you by Pfizer. We're, we're not brought to you by Pfizer. We want to be brought to you by you. So I want to introduce you to Rumble Rants. Now on YouTube, there is a feature called Super Chats, but that is only available to channels that have a certain number of subscribers, and we intend to get there. But in the meantime, a frankly much better platform is Rumble, and we are streaming right now on Rumble, and if you look on the side here, you have this section called Rumble Rants, and it's essentially a way to sponsor a comment. And as we've done in the roundtables, we want to engage with you both during the show and after the show. So you can come in here, you can write your comment, and you can, if you'd like, uh, add a dollar amount to contribute to the show. Um, if you can afford to do that, if you're in a position to do so, please support the show. Send us a rumble rant and uh, we will bring it up. Uh, I think we can bring it up on screen. And um, we'll find every way possible to show our thanks. But the primary way we're going to do that is continue to make um, content like this. Ladies and gentlemen, let's wrap that up for now. Once again, this has gone longer than I anticipated. Um, thank you for participating in this weekly news roundup with me. Um, go to www.roundingtheearth.substack.com, become a paid member as another way to support the show. And um, we will see you on Tuesday for uh, a roundtable on the topic of Bitcoin. Uh, I have been Liam Sturgis, www.liamsturgis.com. Thank you so much, and we will see you on Tuesday. Mm -hmm.